You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the, uh, the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Ryan Carson, an exceptional guest, real estate lawyer out of Ontario. Please help me to welcome our guest. How are you, Ryan? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Adam. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to to be with us on the show, and I appreciate you taking the time. So um, I think the first thing I would like to highlight here is uh, the legal structure for multiple or many um, multifamily investors, especially the syndicators here in Canada. But we can start with the preferred corporate structure for uh, regular second family homes uh, between different uh, uh, partnership agreements. So can we start with the the pros and cons for uh, the three-tier structure? Sure, sure. Well, yeah, so like you said, there's lots of different structures to putting um, real estate investor deals together. And then, you know, sometimes the structure is going to greatly depend on um, the the property type, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's single family, multi, or even large multi or commercial. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes the structure will greatly depend on um, some some of the investors, you know, requirements and wants possibly. Hmm. Um, and then sometimes it can change just on, um, you know, different laws that apply in different jurisdictions. I mean, normally the most common structures that you would see with, um, you know, real estate investors would be um, like a joint venture. Hmm. Uh, that's one model. There's the partnership model. Um, there can be a corporate model that you could use. And then uh, some people are really um, asking a lot of questions and, and dealing with possibly um, like a general partnership, limited partnership fund now as well. Yeah. So those are the most common like four, four or so structures we see as, as uh, lawyers right now for, mm-hmm. the, for the real estate investors, especially ones focusing on, on multifamily and scaling. Um, you know, their, their portfolio, whether scaling means, um, you know, going to bigger projects or whether scaling means just, you know, sticking to the same type, but like multiplying how many they're doing, hmm. uh, you know, as far as I think your question was related to, um, you know, what, what do we think about the three tier corporate structure? Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe just making sure everybody's on the same page of what is that? Um, you know, usually, and there's this common, um, suggestion and now it might, it might be changing a bit now in Ontario and Canada because of some of the changes in the tax laws over the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of people, they're not abandoning the three-tier structure, Mm. but they're modifying it to potentially not necessarily be three tiers anymore, but have some corporate structure, but potentially tie in. Um, other elements like family trusts and so Mm. forth Mm. so every situation is completely different and unique so you have to kind of take everything we're saying you know today as just general information you need to sit down and you know have a proper consultation and opinion to to really know what's going to be best suited for you and your situation but generally speaking the three tier was three corporations Mm. Uh, one corporation would be a parent company which would own another corporation, which would own the actual real estate property itself Mm. and be the one that would take out the mortgage. 
And then it, on the basis that this is a property that's going to be rented or have tenants, you'd have a third corporation that could be like a property management company. So that's typically, which would be owned by the parent company as well, uh, in most cases. So you kind of have this uh, three-tiered, kind of like a triangle almost. You got the parent company at the top, and then you've got um, the management company owned by the parent company. And then the um, we call it the nominee corp, which is the corporation that owns the property owned by the parent company. So this is the three-tier structure that you see, um, you know, there's there's some tax benefits to doing it this way because you've got corporations able to flow revenues back up into the parent company and then you have creative structure at that level uh, which is typically advised by the accountants um, you can be isolating uh, liability and risk um, uh, from the different corporations to help protect assets um, which is an, another reason people sometimes like that multi-corporate structure. Hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of what the, the three-tier structure is. Hmm. Um, again, like I said, I think, you know, it's probably wise to have your specific situation, you know, a, yeah. um, you know, reviewed and, 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 and get, have a consultation on it because I think at the end of the day, um, there has been a shift sort of in just defaulting straight to three corporations yeah. um, because of the changes in the tax laws in Ontario and Canada, hmm. as well as um, there being some potentially other more favorable structures from a law and tax point of view, which I, I've, I've seen a lot of investors creating corporate structure that have family trusts. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, because we're focusing here on, on the multifamily, I see a little bit confusion uh, on the structure wise about when you're dealing with above 20 and 30 units in Canada is mm -hmm. when I use shareholder agreement and when I use or sw uh, switch to the GPLP structure when it's actually it's uh, an actual issue for uh, the capital raisers to comply with the security law when when you have to switch to the security law. So when is the silver line here, silver line here between, okay, I'm okay with shareholder agreement on this limit, or I have to switch to security law? Yeah, I don't know that if there's a magic number, okay. you know, just like there may never be a magic number to say to people you should incorporate, right? Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, some factors that I think help determine and maybe, um, sway you to go one way versus the other yeah. would probably be um, based on, well, one, what is the capital need for the project, right? And, and then what are your capital resources available? If you have, if it's possible for you to have the project you're trying to, to you know, finance or, you know, in process and acquire, uh, all completed with a very small number of investor um, mm -hmm. clients, um, you know, then doing a uh, general partnership, limited partnership fund structure may not make a lot of sense because you, you can probably accomplish a lot of the corporate tax and legal uh, items that everybody will want to see just yeah. in a corporate structure, right? Yeah. So if you're really fortunate and you've got, you know, some very good investors, uh, deep pockets, that kind of thing, uh, where you don't have a lot of investors or maybe you only have one or two hmm. then that may be a factor that 
as you kind of stay more just on the, the single corporate structure, hmm. the shareholder agreement and so forth, versus getting really into the whole GPLP um, structure and fund and partnership agreements and so forth, right? Like the um, PPM, the private, um, a private placement memorandum and all of the associated yeah. papers with the GPLP. Right, right. Um, you know, so so that would be one thing is if you if you don't need a lot of investors, then uh, because you've got the capital resources with just one or two or a few hmm. corporate structure, whether it's a big project or a small one hmm. might end up making more sense. I think just what I said there too, big or small projects, usually you don't see a lot of GPLPs on smaller projects. 100%. Right? I mean, you're typically talking about some sort of development or build or um, we see them a lot, like specifically for us and our clients, a lot of people uh, are using GPLP structures when they're acquiring um, like apartments, you mm. know, so probably 10 to 20 units yeah. sort of as a minimum. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it's not a hard and fast rule that that's the only factor, right? In those particular instances as well with our clients that are using the GPLP for you know, at a minimum, like a 10 plus to 20 plus, you know, uh, unit apartment up to like 50 to 100 units is kind of like our kind of bread and butter for our, our clients right now. Hmm. Um, you know, in those cases, they're using the GPLP because of the size of the actual physical project, like the, hmm. the building, but they're also doing the GPLP because if they don't have one investor or just two investors that can fund the deal, right? They need they need the GPLP to allow for them to creatively raise the capital from multiple sources, right? They probably have, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 plus people investing, you know, increments of 50 to 100,000 into each of those GPs, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so I think it's, you know, the actual uh, number of investors, that's probably, you know, somewhat a factor as well as the size of the project um, that probably play a big factor into like, do you just do corporate, you know, structure with a shareholder agreement, or are you talking a GPLP fund? I think that the third factor too, which is pretty uh, practical and pragmatic is like, what's your appetite and budget here for professional fees, right? Like mm. lawyers, accounts, et cetera. Mm. Um, you know, you're going to be paying quite a bit more money to, oh, to GPLP. lawyers, accountants, and other professionals to set up and coordinate the GPLP structure than you will likely on just a, a corporate structure with a, an incorporated business and then shareholder agreement. So, I think the silver line here also is complying with the Security Commission law is, exactly. is, is, is not an option for the investor or the syndicator when, as you mentioned, the silver line is the number of investors and how to comply with the law. Yeah, and I mean, you, I mean, technically, even with like corporates, um, you know, if you're selling shares just in a, a single corporation, so not even mm. a GPLP, mm. you still have to make sure that uh, you've got exemptions for security compliance right mm -hmm. um because you're still selling shares there right yeah because um, they're probably giving you money to in exchange for shares so they've you know they've they've acquired uh, an investment right mm -hmm. um in in the corporate structure 
um, and, and you'd be using this likely the same um, uh, structure exemption of of, yeah. of of accredited. Like typically, it's the accredited investor exemption that most people are are relying upon to um, not have to make sure they're doing filing in compliance and becoming regulated by uh, the Security Exchange and Commission for Ontario, right? I so, think this is part you need to focus on because not many people know this, which is basically the difference between the accredited investor and qualified investors. So um, um, I'm going to leave it to you. Well, I, I to be honest with you, I don't actually practice in security law. So I always oh, okay. will, will say to investors, you know, we can do the structuring and the contracts for, um, uh, you know, all of this kind of stuff that mm. we're talking about, but we always recommend people to a separate securities lawyer because yeah. uh, just like tax and tax advice, we don't give the tax advice either um, because it's it's just such a large area 100%. on itself. Um, same thing with security laws. It's, it's quite a, you know, specific and yeah. uh, large, you know, sub, sub, uh, section of the law that you know we just we just usually send directly to a securities lawyer to give that yeah. advice and that distinction and and really determine you know are, is what you're doing going to then trigger obligations under a security exchange or mm -hmm. what you have in place and who you have investing they qualify for exemptions here are the forms you need prepared so people can sign to prove they have the exemptions and thus no further obligations or requirements under the act that's why we always uh, recommend this uh, not us uh, lawyers of course like you uh, recommend the shareholder agreement or partnership agreement which is a corporate or a regular structure without corporate uh, i think this uh, brings us to another uh, subject which is when you can corporate your your deal at which limit you think it's better for you to cooperate and save your, um, or protect your, your assets? Yeah, I mean, at any amount, it, it's gonna be advantageous to mm. incorporate if you're worried about um, like protecting assets, because mm. automatically, whether, whether you have $1 or the assets worth $1 or not, mm. um, once you incorporate and, and once the corporation owns the asset, that's separate and apart from you as the as the person, right? Mm -hmm. So at law and at tax, corporations are separate, like people, persons, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the second you incorporate, um, the second you incorporate, and you have assets and or debts owed, uh, owned or owed by the corporation, you automatically create, um, you know, asset and debt. Um, protection like you're automatically acquiring that mm. it doesn't uh, really need there to be a threshold point of value mm. um, i think what comes in the you know people's minds is okay well if i do this incorporation it costs you know x and y for the lawyer and the accountant and the incorporation um and you know do i want to spend those amounts of money to get the opinions and get the corporation set up um uh you know for the value of this project right mm -hmm. um, i think a lot of times if you're you know working in multifamily spaces and you're working with investors and and potentially their money i think a really great value add that you can 
you can apply, you can sort of apply and, and hopefully use to distinguish yourself when you're going out there trying to, to get investors to choose you over somebody else's project yeah. is if you can show them that you've got multiple um, structure opportunities hmm. um, and, and depending on their situation and, and what might be best for their scenario, you could choose either one of these options and either one of these options have various different, you know, preferential tax treatments and so forth for them. Right. Yeah. Because they're obviously investing the money. Um, like most people, we're trying to get a return on, on, on our, on our money, right. For as little mm. risk as possible. And so if there's, um, if there's better ways of investing uh, for a higher rate of return at a lower risk, yeah. Um, you know, anytime somebody can see that they're going to jump on those opportunities. And sometimes one way to increase the rate of your return, um, other than like, you know, usually with the greater risk is the greatest return. But if you're trying to, you know, stabilize or minimize risk, but increase your investor's rate of return, sometimes that can be accomplished through uh, just better uh, structuring. Of the deal, right? So, Makes sense. Yeah. As an example, let's say there, let's say it was determined having a corporation was the best way to do the deal. Hmm. Um, a question that you could pose, and one of two options you could provide to your investors is Are you going to be investing money into the corp in the sense of uh, putting the money into the corp to buy shares hmm. or? it might be more beneficial for the investor not to necessarily invest the money and, and return and get in return shares. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's better for them to uh, not invest in all in the company from a standpoint of shares. Maybe it's better for them to lend the corporation money. So they're actually hmm. a creditor of the corporation. They yeah. don't actually um, in that case, receive shares. They, they have a loan agreement with the corp, but the corp is allowed to use that loan, you know, for the purposes of, hmm. of what, what's in the documents. So that that's just a very simple illustration, I hope, of the two, two options for your investor yeah. that are, are very different, um, you know, from a documentation standpoint and possibly a tax standpoint, which one might be greatly more beneficial to the investor the investor like not only are they going to get a rate of return um you know the same rate of return in each case from like what the terms of the documents say hmm. but there could be because they're not buying shares um in the one example but they're giving a loan there might be different tax write-offs that they can further do in yeah. the bigger picture of tax right so it's 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 things like that that I think are important too to help investors as they are, you know, trying to scale and grow and attract more uh, clientele as investors um, into their their projects. Um, because if you can show you've got more options to fit everybody's different scenarios, um, then you can be more creative and potentially you're providing more and more people with um, a greater return and potentially some. Uh, you know, additional savings or benefits that maybe other people are just not even thinking about or considering. I think what you said is to just to recap is 
it's just really important that the active investor has to have this aligned ahead of time to show the different structure ahead to give option to the passive investors depend on their situation to meet their needs because everyone is different yeah Yeah, i agree 100 percent yeah one of the questions is always uh, for me even to be honest is uh, um Sometimes I use bird trust agreement, sometimes shareholder agreement on a smaller scale, uh, as we mentioned, like on a smaller 10 to 15 unit. So when is, uh, when you, uh, in your opinion, is the best time to use a bird trust against a shareholder agreement? From the tax perspective, I think, and the legal side. Yeah, so so with bear trust agreements, like usually we see people using bear trust agreements because they're trying to um, have title registered a particular way, hmm. but um, the people registered to title may or may not be like this. They won't be the sole owners of the property. Yeah. They may not even be owners at all, right? Yeah. And so the bear trust agreement usually denotes, you know, who are going to be the registered holders of title yeah. as trustees for the beneficial owners, which would be the, the actual owners. Yeah. Um, so that's the purpose of it. And so, I mean, sometimes uh, people consider, um, you know, doing the bear trust agreement because of um, like financing or qualification um, uh, needs okay. like with the, the mortgage or lenders. One thing to keep in mind about bear trusts, um, because they create, as the name suggests, a trust relationship between the trustees and the beneficial owners. Um, The problem a lot of like banks and and credit unions have um, is they need to have full disclosure of, are there any other third party interests in the property? or in this case, beneficial owners and interests. And so if this hasn't been disclosed in the um, financing process and application process with the- um, The lender. The lenders, then um, the lawyer, if the lawyer who's doing the closing of the purchase is aware of these you know, third-party interests or beneficial owners, hmm. um, the issue they run into is they, they have to disclose it to the bank, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so now the bank might say, okay, well, we need more details and, and maybe it, it, it changes or scuttles like the approval, the financing, right? Correct. So um, it's, if, you know, if you're considering using bear trusts, you'd want to work with, a, you know, a mortgage wrap or broker that, um, is quite familiar with them so that you can make sure the application for financing isn't going to be jeopardized by anything related to the bear trust agreement, right? Okay. Um, but putting that aside, you know, the bear trust agreement can be beneficial, um, as we discussed, to, to help, um, you know, set up these scenarios and situations where um, you want to have one person or one corporation or a group of people in a corporation registered as the title holders, yeah. but ultimately have a, a different group uh, be the actual beneficial owners mm. of the property. And, and so 
that can that can help some, with some creditor protection uh, yeah. in a way uh, because it's really the beneficial owners that own this property. Just because titles owned a certain way doesn't mean they are the owner. It's just that they're registered as such. The beneficial owners are the true owners, right? I think that also the tax is going to be on their individual's account, not on the corporation account. So the, the corporation is just a, a, a camouflage to the actual beneficiaries. That That's right. So there is the tax considerations that people would have to consider because if you are noted in a trust agreement as the beneficial owner, then your then your uh, accountant has to be aware of that because they're going to have to make sure that they're disclosing that you are a beneficial owner, mm. um, and then there there may be you know taxes or or other filings that are necessary to the beneficial owners, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the the other thing is if for whatever reason, like some people like trust uh, trust agreements uh, to potentially transfer the property um down the road hmm. so maybe for whatever reason at the time of closing it can it can't be uh me and you on title for some reason but you can but you're holding it 50 for you and 50 for me as the yeah. beneficial owners and then um down the road let's say three years from now it can become you and me because whatever was stopping it before um is now you know not not a factor anymore hmm. you can do that transfer of title from you to you and me with no land transfer tax because you can do it as a trustee to beneficial owners so that's another reason why people sometimes structure bear trusts so that down the road there could be a subsequent transfer from the trustee to the beneficial owners exempt from land transfer tax from uh, from scaling point of view uh, like let's say if we have an actual property in both sides, shareholder agreement or bear trust, and we need to add more investor from legal point of view, what is easier? Is just to add more beneficiaries to, to the beneficiary list or sell more shares? Let's say we want to do a value add to the property. And by doing this, we need to raise more capital. And we have two types. We have the shareholder agreement where we can sell more shares or add more beneficiaries on the bear trust, what is legal wise is more applicable and easier for the from the legal uh, uh, point of view? Um, I think you I think you'd only really be able to do the the shares because hmm. um, if I understand what you're what you're asking, like the bear trust agreement, you know, if if I use the example of like you're the trustee holding it in trust for you and me. But then we needed more capital for, yeah. um, you know, some, something else. Yeah. And so we wanted to try to have you be the trustee um, and, and, and just add more beneficial owners to it. Yeah. Um, because those beneficial owners have come after the initial acquisition and dating of the trust agreement, you might have a bit of a hard time with like just the effectiveness and legality of the bear trust, like adding people. Hmm. So I, I would think that the, the better way of dealing with, um, you know, needing a capital raise and so forth would probably be through um, selling shares of, of, of selling shares. Um, that would probably be the best, but you, it, it's you know that it's hard to say that that would apply everywhere because every like I said every situation is a bit unique yeah and um, 
all the investors are are unique. Their their global tax scenarios are unique. Yeah. Um, so I think you'd need a a full review of each situation before you like fully applied what I've just said because th there could be another solution. Hmm. Um, you know that we're not talking about at this exact moment uh, that could be most applicable uh, to help all the parties you know, maximize all their benefits. 100%, 100%. Uh, I was trying to uh, have another subject here is the CHMC product and uh, the legal impact of using a CHMC a product on the multifamily. Is there any implication of using this product, especially that usually we use CHMC when, you do, we, when we're doing a refinance? Is there any legal impact of using this product from legal standpoint? Well, um, what are you thinking there? Like, can you provide more of an example of like like uh, legal impact like what, what do you mean on on, on on when when we do an actual when we think on the beginnings that okay we're gonna go with private lending and the beginning on the first first 16 months and then once we add value we're gonna switch back to the chmc product with a better returns less mm -hmm. interest and so on uh, mm -hmm. from structural point of view when you're dealing with uh, 10 to 20 units or bigger uh, is this an actual legal structure have to be um, proposed to make to match with the CHMC uh, requirement from the legal standards uh, like point of view, especially that you're going to deal with the insurance, you're going to look for a particular structure, as you mentioned, um, um, the bear trustee uh, is an issue to uh, disclose uh, the actual beneficiaries. So on this point, or in this example, I don't think it's going to be the correct structure to have a bill trustee if you're looking to ensure the deal with CHMC when you go and do the uh, refinance. This is, what, this is basically um, my um, goal of the, the question. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess in short, I mean, again, every, every situation is unique and potentially yeah. different. Yeah. But I, no, I don't think there's like a, I don't think there's a legal reason or implication why you, uh, why you couldn't, you know, have the CMHC, um, you know, in the scenario that you just described, like there's no, no there's no reason why you, you couldn't. Um, I think whenever you're working with um, the banks and credit unions, as we discussed earlier, they're going to want to know if there's third party interests or, or trusts or beneficial owners. Yeah. Like they typically want to know that and have that disclosed in the, in the application. Um, so, you know, you really need to make sure that whoever you're working with as for the financing on the broker side, you know, understands that, um, and understands how that's going to work, uh, in the application. Um, so no, I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't, um, have a CMHC insured mortgage. I don't think, you know, with the multifamily, yeah. um, with the multifamily, um, be because we have clients that, you know, obviously acquired all these different apartment uh, complexes, hmm. uh, typically at first with like private financing, yeah. um, but, but are now refinancing or have already refinanced with uh, bank insured, you know, yeah. mortgages now, Products, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they either you know, uh, have the CMHC or other insurance applicable and, um, 
the GPLP doesn't pose a problem or anything like that there. Hmm. Um, that being said, the, like those GPLP structures are fully disclosed to the lenders, both the privates and the, the banks, right? Um, so they're, they're all well aware of this is how the structure is and, and ownership and, you know, everything, right? Yeah. Um, none of those particular clients have like bare trusts. Yeah. Like they just, they just have the, they just have the actual uh, fund and partnership agreement oh, yeah, and yeah. so forth, right? Like in the yeah. GPLP. Yeah. Um, on other ones that elected not to have GPLP structure, um, on any of the closings that we do with the acquisitions or the re subsequent refinances with the bank, yeah. um, in, in those cases, the, the clients have not, they've disclosed there are no interests. Okay. Um, so again, um, if uh, there was an interest, they would be obligated to disclose that so hmm. that the lender is aware that there's the beneficial interest and in, in trust component. 100%, 100%. Uh, I was trying to highlight something about you that you're also a real estate investors. And how was the journey for you on real estate? Like when you started yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of stepped back a little bit from it because um, I, I'm spending so much. So we've had such a significant growth in our client base of real estate investors Yeah, um, that it's uh, just keeping up with the work with my with my my team of professionals here and other lawyers and so forth. Uh, that in itself has become um just a lot more than it was when I first started. Hmm. So I, I, I um, personally never got um, into too many like large, um, you know, properties and acquisitions. It was always um, smaller uh, property holds and rentals and so forth. And um, I actually ended up selling all of those. Hmm. And then um it, predominantly now just because it works the best for me you know um also wearing my lawyer hat and stuff with with the work we have to do um the only real um investing i'm doing right now is i i kind of will do some private lending uh okay. for time so just because it's a bit it's easier for me to do that i can do not only the lender work, but I could do the lawyer work as well for, for yeah. myself, right? For free. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, so that just works out um, to just, you know, slide in and out easier with, the, with all the other client work we're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's been, it's it's great. I mean, uh, I enjoyed the journey as an investor when, I, when we were doing uh, properties and so forth. Um, I think a lot of the investing that I can afford to do now with my time is uh, it's hard to do a lot of uh, active work because I'm working with so many, uh, we're working with so many clients, right? So many more. Um, so a lot of what I would do is just, like I said, that private lending, uh, which is kind of sparingly right now, um, or, you know, get involved with somebody on the passive side. The problem for us is, as lawyers investing with clients where we have heavy restrictions and regulations on that, yeah. right? So yeah. it, it just is tricky that way, right? Like the people I'd, I'd like to real estate invest with are a lot of them are my clients. So now I'm kind of conflicted from maybe investing with them unless I stop doing legal work for them, 
right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. been it's been an interesting journey that way. But uh, real estate investing is obviously very fun, exciting uh, period. Uh, I, I enjoy doing it uh, and, and have enjoyed doing it, uh, you know, uh, over the years. And um, and I and I really enjoy working with real estate investors because there's um, like doing the real estate acquisition is 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 exciting and it's fantastic. But there's a lot of um, other things the real estate investors that should be considering doing other than just buying, right? Like it's getting properly set up corporately, you know, on the business side, it's um, working with you and talking with you about, uh, you know, what's your estate planning, you know, yeah. you're, you're acquiring interests and properties at, at potentially a very uh, fast rate. And so I think it's important to make sure when we're talking with our investor clients, sure, we'll, we'll do your deal, right? Like we'll do the deals. Um, but you know, how are you structured? Who's giving you advice on not only the deals, but your global, you know, portfolio and, and then, you know, talking with those other advisors, finance and, and, and tax and sort of trying to put together a good estate plan too. It's, it's, it's a, it's a fun, holistic uh, opportunity working with investors. You've got deals, you've got structure, you've got planning. And so it's, it's fun that way. I think what what one of the greatest things you're doing basically, to be honest, is educating the public about and like you're ba basically spending time to educate people. And this is one of the greatest things I like about uh, your firm is also. But my my question always I like to ask people is, what do you define your strengths or superpower? Oh, geez. Um... <laughs> I think I think one thing that we try to to always be to our clients uh, where where we can is we try to be uh, understanding, we try to be patient, and we try to be creative problem solvers. Yeah. Um, I think we've got uh, we've got quite a few lawyers on the team that are also investors, so they're you know they're familiar with what's happening out there in the market. Yeah. Not only are they familiar with business strategies people are taking, um, but they also have the legal background as well. So yeah. we're, we're trying to, um, you know, on tough cases, be as creative and, and as solution based as we can for people. Um, so I guess that's, you know, our, our superpower is we try to be patient. We try to work with with investors and we try to help them. Um, you know, make deals happen and overcome their problems, right? With solutions. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that's that's it, yeah. That's perfect. Uh, I think uh, one of the things is always is uh, that you're offering a lot of services. And I was trying to highlight like how the people can um, reach out to you and your team. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, best way to get all our contact details and see a bit more about us and um, and just utilize some of our great resources is you can go to our website, which is www.carsonlaw.ca. Um, and then we also have, you know, uh, follow us on Instagram and, and Facebook. Uh, we're always kind of trying to be active there, uh, giving out information and, and other sessions. Um, and our website's a great sort of starting point too, because it will, uh, direct you to different um, channels as well, where we've uh, done conversations and talks and and provided education on other matters. So the website's a great 
a, a great center point, but by all means, uh, follow us on Facebook and uh, follow us on Instagram. And uh, if, if anybody ever needs anything, they can always email me, which uh, is, is best, which is uh, ryan at carsonlaw.ca. That's perfect. Again, uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, coming to the show. And we really like to bring you again to the show to talk about more structures and legal aspects. Oh, perfect. I'd love to do it. Thanks so much. Thank you a lot.